How many of you remember the, uh, the praise chorus that we sing from time to time, and especially around Thanksgiving titled, Give Thanks? Remember that little song, that little chorus? Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's what? Given Jesus Christ, His Son. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. But uh, I like the rest of that course. It says, And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich because of what the Lord has done for me. Do you know the story of that little course? It was written in the 1980s by a young man named Henry Smith who planned to be a, a minister. He'd gone to seminary, but his eyes started going bad, and ultimately he lost his sight. He returned home, and one Sunday was sitting in his home church listening to a sermon, and he just felt thankful for God's presence and all of God's blessings. Now, he's losing his sight, and his dream of being a minister is over. But rather than being angry and bitter, he just is filled with gratitude for the grace of God. And he goes home and writes this simple, powerful little chorus about being thankful because God has given us his son and being thankful because of all the Lord had done in his life. See, the truth is that when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it changes you changes how you understand life and how you deal with the circumstances that come to you in life. changes how you approach daily living every day and in all circumstances. And Jesus said it would be that way. And several of the Gospels, Jesus said something like this in Luke 9, 23. If anyone wishes to come after me, what does he have to do? Deny himself, take up his cross. How often? That means it's not a Sunday thing, it's an everyday thing. And follow me. See, Christianity is not about a philosophy, it's not about a, a, a view of life, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. We follow Him and He becomes, in essence, our lives. He's not an appendage, He is our life. And we are to follow Him every day. That means that every phase of our life is impacted by our relationship with Jesus Christ. He's not a component of life. He's not a part of life. He is our life. And um, we've been talking about that for the last several weeks in this sermon series on following Jesus, using stories from the lives of uh, Corey and Betsy Tim Boom and their family to illustrate the teachings of Scripture about being a follower of Christ. And today we're going to wrap it up this will be the last sermon in the series, and I've really enjoyed it, and I, I trust and pray it's been a blessing and an encouragement and a challenge to you as well. But today I want us to think about two things in particular, about worship and thanksgiving, and how worship and being thankful is not something you, you do just when you gather at, at what we call church. It's, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's our daily experience with God of worshiping Him and being thankful for all of his blessings in life. So I want to begin by talking about worship, daily worship. And the first thing I want to point out to us is that worship is a privilege you and I are to enjoy. It is a privilege that we are to enjoy. Psalm 122, I was glad when they said to me, what? Let us go where? 
to the house of the Lord. Now, I was glad. Some of you this morning are probably tired because you sat up too late watching that ball game last night. Right? Others are even more tired because they went to it. I saw it on Facebook and Instagram. I know you were there. Some, and you can tell them I said so afterward, backslid this morning and are still in bed. Right? But you're here. And the Bible says we are to be glad when we have the opportunity to gather with God's people for worship. I know there's a, a sense of duty. I understand there's, a, there's an element of commitment and thank God for that. But if, if our worship is primarily duty and obligation, etc., then, then we're missing out. You know, I, I'm here because it's my job. Right? But if the only reason I'm doing this is because it's my job, I'm, I'm in a mess. And so are you. It's to be our joy. It's a, it's a privilege that we are to enjoy. You know, it's, it's the old adage that you get to rather than got to when it comes to worship. And it's like anything else that we, that we do a lot, we can start taking it for granted. We, we can become so familiar with it that it loses its freshness. It's, it's what happens to a lot of marriages because they don't cultivate the relationship. They don't cultivate romance. If you're not cultivating your relationship with Jesus Christ, your daily worship with Jesus Christ, I'm just going to tell you what happens here on Sunday is going to be really hit and miss in your life. And if you're bored, the best thing you can do is go home, look in the mirror, and examine your daily worship of Jesus Christ. Your daily walk with Him. And so it's, it's, a, it's a privilege. And we are to enjoy it. But something else about worship is that worship is expected. God expects us to worship. And we should expect it of ourselves and one another. And it's something that we need. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 makes it very clear that we're not to miss the gathering of God's people. Not to miss church if you will. Notice what it says on the screen. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some. I mean, those who are hit and miss in their church attendance, God says, don't be like them. You are to set an example. You are to set the pace. You are to lead the way by consistently, faithfully being glad for the opportunity of gathering with the family of faith to worship the one who makes us a family of faith. And so God says, I expect it of you. But brothers and sisters, we should expect it of ourselves. And so I ask you, do you expect it of yourself that you're going to worship Christ on Sunday and that you're going to worship Christ on Monday and that you're going to worship Christ on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? You're going to worship Him every day, privately and collectively? Do you expect it of yourself? And we're to expect it of one another. But we also need it. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, notes are in, the, the, the words are in your notes and on the screen where, where Paul is, 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 is telling Timothy and the church that he's pastoring, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. You'll notice in most Baptist churches the pulpit is in the middle versus some faith traditions where it's off to the side. There's a reason for that. It's intentional. It's because of the centrality of the Word of God in worship for us. That we take seriously what he says here, that we are, to, we, are, we are to give attention to the public reading and teaching 
of God's Word. So when you bring your Bible, we want you to open it. We want you to read it, whether it's, whether it's you know, the old-fashioned paper kind or the modern electronic kind. It's His Word either way. And so read it and learn it. Don't, don't just listen, but engage yourself as you worship in the Word of God and allow His Word, which never returns void, to do a work in your life to make you a better follower of Jesus Christ. Exhortation, admonishment, encouragement, challenge, teaching to understand what the words mean. See, it's not enough for us to only worship Jesus in private. Private worship is important. Okay, your quiet time every day is important. The quality of your daily quiet time, your daily worship, private worship will impact the quality of your experience on Sundays. It really will. But that in and of itself is not all that God expects or that you need. You need to gather together with the, the people of, of God because there, there's something unique that happens in corporate worship. There, there, do you know one of the unique things about corporate worship? It's this. You have the opportunity to be either encouraged or challenged in a way that you do not control. See, when you're doing private worship, your quiet time, you control whether or not you do it. You control what you read. You control what you expose yourself to. When you come here, you have no control over what I'm going to preach. Right? Private worship, you control. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't speak, but, if you, want, but, but you can control it. Corporate worship, you just don't know what God's going to do as he shows up in other people, whether it's in that Sunday school class, whether it's in a song that you did not know was going to be sung, whether it's in a scripture I read you did not know I was going to read. God just has this unique way of dealing with us when we gather with his people to help fashion us. And when you limit yourself to just private worship, your daily quiet time, you stay in control. And there needs to be times when you expose yourself to God in a way that you're saying, God, my hands are off and I have no control over what you're going to say today to me. That's just one. And I, I could go on listing many benefits to our spiritual development of corporate worship. And think about this. Corporate worship is a very powerful witness declaration to this lost world and universe that God exists, we believe in Him, and we love Him. And so it's, it's, it's a way of, of publicly saying Jesus is real. You don't do that when you stay in bed on Sundays. You don't say anything positive about God to the world when you stay home on Sunday mornings. But you do when you gather with the people of God. Now something else about worship, and we're going to get to John 4 right now. Worship, listen brothers and sisters, daily worship does not depend on a place or a building. Daily worship does not depend on a place or a building. Now in John chapter 4, Jesus is passing through Samaria. He has this conversation with the woman at the well who had been married multiple times and was now living with a man. you remember the story? They have a conversation. She becomes a believer and through her witness and then people coming out because of her to see Jesus, many people in that village become followers of Christ. During their conversation, they talk about worship. Where to worship and how to worship. And let's start with verse 20. 
Verse 20, she says to Jesus, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people, you Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. The Samaritans, who were part Jew and part Gentile, had built a temple on a hill in Samaria. It had been destroyed a few years before this, but that hill was still a sacred place, similar to the to the, to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem today. And so it was still a sacred place of worship for the Samaritans. And so there was this debate. Where's the right place to worship? See, the northern kingdom had set up a place to compete with, with Jerusalem in the southern kingdom centuries earlier. And so she, she brings this issue up to Jesus. And Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming... When neither in this mountain, the one in Samaria, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Jesus said a time is coming when that question is irrelevant. Verse 23. An hour is coming. Notice the second time he said that. An hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father, what? In spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. Therefore, those who worship him must worship him in spirit. Now, two times Jesus said, an hour is coming. And the second time he said, and now it is. It's here. It's a new day. It's a new era. Things are changing because of Jesus. And he said, this, in this new era, it's not this mountain or that mountain. It's not about the place, and it's not about the building, and it's not about the temple. It's about Jesus. Because the kind of worshipers the Father is seeking are those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Why? Because God is spirit. Worshiping him with our being. With our heart, soul, mind. That's the reason the Old and New Testament both say we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because the way true worshipers worship God, it is with their personhood. It is with their soul. It is with their thoughts. It is with their mind. It is with their tongues. It is with themselves. Worship doesn't happen because of a building or a ritual. Worship happens because of of what's going on inside of me and my relationship with Jesus Christ that transforms how I live in this world. See, it's not about the place. Now, the gathering matters if we're going to have corporate worship. In Matthew 18, Jesus said we're two or three, so two or more is what it means, have, have gathered together in my name. What? I'm there. And so it's, it's, it's not about the place as much as it's about the gathering. That's, that's why when, when we were in Zambia back in May and uh, we worshipped in a classroom, that was worship. When we worshipped under a shade tree, that was worship. When I was in Kenya years ago and we were worshipping in a, in a grain field, that was worship. That's the reason in your quiet time, if you're sitting at your kitchen table or your desk or in a chair in your bedroom or on your back deck, if you're genuinely worship, it's worship because what makes it holy is not the building or the place, it's the people and the relationship. And sometimes we make the same mistake the Samaritan woman and others make made. 
The gathering matters. We've already seen that, right? It's the gathering that makes the difference. And it's, it's the worshiping inside. So, so when, 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 when we're singing these hymns, if you're just standing there looking around waiting for it to be over, you're not worshiping even if you're here and you hear the music. If nothing's happening in you, you're not worshiping. If, if when I preach, you're not, you're not engaging God and, and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you and, 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 and reacting as God speaks to you, you're, you're not worshiping. You're just listening. Worship doesn't happen because you're in a place and some ritual, whether it's a high church ritual or a low church ritual, takes place. That's not worship. Worship is when you engage with God, with God's people. That's what Jesus is saying. You've got to do it in spirit and in truth, inside and with the Word of God, in spirit and in truth. Because God is spirit and that's what He is seeking. So I want to say that worship is both public and personal. And here I'm talking about corporate worship. Okay? Corporate worship is public. That's what we're doing right now. It's out in the open. But it's also personal. Because even though you're part of a crowd, you must individually be engaged. Not because you really like the sermon or not because you really like the music, but because you have chosen to personally engage with Jesus Christ, who is your Savior and your Lord. If, if worship always depends on how inspiring the music or how inspiring the sermon is, we have cheapened worship. Worship is about what goes on inside of you and inside of me more than anything else. But there's another thing. Worship, brothers and sisters, not, does not depend on our circumstances. It depends on a relationship with Jesus Christ, but it does not depend on our circumstances. It's like when young Henry Smith wrote that praise course, Give Thanks. I mean, think about his circumstances. Losing his vision, going blind. His dream of being a minister shattered. There, were no, there, there wasn't anything about his circumstances that would make him write a song about giving thanks. The average person would be angry and bitter and disappointed and upset. It's not circumstances. I'll give you two examples from the Bible, and then I want to share some stories with you from the Tim Boom family. In the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, look at, look at these verses. It's interesting. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines. Is that a positive or negative experience? It's negative. Though the yield of the olives should fail and the fields produce no food. Is that a positive or negative experience? It's negative. Though the, the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Is that a positive or negative experience? Come on, talk to me, church. Negative. Yet, I will do what? Exult in the Lord and rejoice in the God of my salvation. It's not praising God just because everything comes up rosy, because everything goes the way I want it to go. 
See, if you, if you can worship God when it's negative, then it's really easy for you to worship God when it's positive. And worship is not determined by what's happening in life. It's determined by the fact that God is God and He has saved us in the person of Jesus Christ and we have a relationship with Him and He's worthy of our adoration. He's worthy of our praise even when the rain is falling all over us. See, I'm afraid too many times we make God nothing more than a generous Santa Claus. And God blesses us. Most of us have been blessed much more than we deserve in life. God blesses us. But He's worthy of our worship all the time. All the time. You remember in the book of Acts when Paul and Silas were arrested for preaching the gospel and thrown in jail. The Bible tells us at midnight, what were they doing? Praying and singing. Praying and singing. Praising God. Midnight, in jail, in chains. Cell doors locked. They didn't moan. They didn't complain. They didn't cuss God. They didn't say why. They sang and they prayed and they praised God. Because they had a relationship with Him and they understood that if anyone was going to follow Christ, they had to take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow Him every day, whatever their circumstances happened to be, and that ultimately their life was about Jesus and His purpose for them. Six months after Corey and Betsy Ten Boom were arrested by the Gestapo for hiding Jews in Holland during World War II. They were moved from a concentration camp in Holland, their home country, to Ravensbrück, an extermination camp for women located deep inside Germany. 1,000 women were loaded into railroad cars and for the next three days and three nights, they, they traveled into Germany, fighting over a pail of water and a few pieces of bread. Some died in the heat and the cramped quarters. When they arrived outside Ravensbrook and unloaded from the train, they walked over a mile up a hill, and at the top of it, Looking down into the valley on the other side, they could see Ravensbrook. It was a camp surrounded by a concrete wall and electric fences. And in the middle of it was a smokestack with smoke rising from the top where women's bodies were being burned. They spent the first two nights in Ravensbrook outside sleeping on the ground before they were assigned to a barracks. In the middle of the first night, there was thunder and a heavy rainstorm. The ground <clears throat> was muddy, puddles of water, and they were soaked. During the day, they had to stand at rigid attention all day 
ditch served as their toilet. While lying on the ground one night trying to sleep, Betsy started to sing an old English Lead kindly light amid the encircling gloom. Lead thou me on. The night is dark and I am far from home. Lead thou me on. Keep thou my feet. I do not ask to see the distant scene, one step enough for me. And as she was singing those powerful words in that horrible place under those terrible conditions, those other women started to sing with her. Who says you can't worship God in times of hard? Who says the only time to worship is when everything is beautiful and good? Who says it's only worship when it's the best sermon and the best music? Who says worship is based on what's happening in circumstances and not your heart and not your soul and not your walk with Jesus Christ? Who says that? And whenever you find yourself saying such things, just take a moment and say, Oh, Lord Jesus, forgive me for making worship about what is not. Forgive me, Father, for not loving you and worshiping you every day in all circumstances. How is your worship? How much is your heart engaged? How faithful are you? How consistent have you been? What's your attitude about it? What's your attitude when you get up on Sunday morning? What's your attitude when you get in the car to come here? What's your attitude when you walk through the doors? What's your attitude when you sit down? And being thankful. See, worship and thanksgiving go together. It's hard to worship Christ if you don't develop a thankful spirit. Corey and Betsy were assigned to Barracks 28 at Ravensburg. And you see those, uh, those what looks like bunk beds? There's these buildings with a middle room and on either side two rooms that were the were the dorms, if you will. And they were assigned to the first one on the right in their barracks. In that dorm, now listen to this, 1,400 women sleeping in spaces built for 400 women. They had these, they didn't have individual beds, they had these, these squares that were stacked three high and shoved up against each other side to side and end to end with a small hall occasionally. And, and to get in yours, you might have to climb up and then climb over two or three bunks to get to the one that you would share with nine women. 
There were eight toilets that served those 1,400 women. They overflowed and the place smelled horribly. The straw and the bunks was filthy. And the first time Corey and Betsy went in that dorm, they gagged and almost threw up. And the place was infested with fleas. And Corey asked her sister, Betsy, how can we live in such a place? And then she just blurted out a prayer to God, show us, show us how. And Betsy told her sister, God's already shown us how. He showed us this morning in our daily Bible reading. And Corey pulled out that little Bible when she saw no guard was looking. They were now on their third time reading through the Bible since they had been arrested. And that morning, do you know what passage they had read? It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 if you want to look at it in your Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 beginning with verse 14. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted. Listen, one of the reasons you need to be in church, one of the reasons you need to be in a Sunday school class, you need to be in a connect group is for encouragement. For encouragement. Help the weak. Be patient with whom? Some? Everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. But always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And then verse 18. In everything. Do what? Do what? Give thanks when? In everything. Not for everything, but in everything. Give thanks in everything. And Betsy said, Corey, there it is. God has shown us how we are to live here. To give thanks. And so they began making a list of things for which they were thankful. They were thankful that they were still together. They were thankful they had a Bible. They were thankful for all the women in that barracks and that dorm who would hear about Jesus, who would meet Jesus. They, they, they were thankful for the crowded conditions because it meant more women would hear the gospel. And then Betsy said she was thankful for the fleas, and Corey couldn't take that one. But later they learned how God used those fleas. Because every night in that dorm, they would retreat to the back of the room where there was a little light, furthest from the entrance, and they would hold a worship service. And they'd be quiet about it. Someone might sing a hymn softly. Someone might quote something different denominations of Christians participating in different ways. And after all of that, either Betsy or Corey would take out that only Bible in Ravensbrook and read from it. 
They would read in Dutch, but both of them spoke German. So one would read it in Dutch, the other would translate into German, and then others would translate into French, Russian, Polish, and Czech languages. So many women wanted to be there, and they had to keep it kind of in hushed tones. They ended up doing two worship services every night in that dorm. And they were under constant observation by the guards. But the guards never bothered them when they did the worship services in the barracks, in the dorms. You know why? Because of those fleas. The guards refused to go inside the building because of the fleas. And that allowed Corey and Betsy to worship and share the gospel and read the word of God every night in that camp. See, sometimes the very things we complain about are the very things God says, if you will love me, trust me, worship me, I will use to give you opportunities you never dreamed you'd have. Because your life is not about you and your comfort. Your life is about him and his kingdom. That's what it means to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone wants to come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Are you following Jesus? Or are you just a good Baptist? Are you following Jesus wherever he leads you? And during this Thanksgiving and Christmas season, Are you worshiping him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength? Let's stand.